0: Um, So think about this. Think about if you have a chip in your head, your chip could be doing all kinds of things. In addition to watching you (laughs) selling your data, um, how do you know anything that you do really originates from you?
1: My name is Steven Parton, and you are listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio. This week, our guest is academic philosopher Susan Schneider, who is the founding director for the Center for the Future Mind at Florida Atlantic University, as well as the author of the 2019 book, Artificial You, AI and the Future of Your Mind. In this episode, we focus heavily on Susan's thoughts, hopes, and concerns surrounding the current conversations regarding artificial intelligence. This includes, but is certainly not limited to the philosophical and ethical questions that AI presents in general, the feasibility of mind uploading and machine consciousness, the ways we may end up outsourcing our decision-making to machines, how we might merge with machines, and how these potential tech futures might impact our identity and our sense of self. And now, let's jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Susan Schneider. So, with guests like yourself, one thing I like to get to is the essence of the story that they're putting out into the world. And for you in particular, one thing that obviously stands out is that you're the founding director for the Center for the Future Mind at Florida Atlantic University. And in 2019, you wrote a book called Artificial You, AI and the future of your mind. So there's an obvious theme here of the future of the mind. What is it about that concept that attracts your attention so deeply and, you know, motivates you to spend so much of your time thinking about it?
0: Well, I studied philosophy of mind uh, with Jerry Fodor for my PhD, thinking about the computational nature of the mind. And back then he was arguing against this view called connectionism, which is basically now called uh, machine learning or deep learning in particular. And I always told him he was wrong, (laughs) but he was so much fun. But um you know, I do work also not just in philosophy of mind, but in this area of contemporary metaphysics that deals with the nature of reality. So for me, um, you know, questions about the future of the mind uh, are absolutely intriguing. I've always been a futurist. So um, you know, I was an extroprian years ago. Uh, you know, I've been a transhumanist since high school way back so um i've just been utterly fascinated by science fiction for example and you know just kind of pull it all together to think about where it's all headed
1: what what are some of the the, i guess philosophical questions questions about the mind that you feel like the future is bringing to us Are, are there new questions that you've come across that you think previous philosophers whether it's Aristotle or, or or Nietzsche haven't had to deal with because they didn't see this, you know, looming possibility of a copied version of ourselves in synthetic form.
0: Oh, I think technology raises a, a ton of interesting issues. In fact, I think Nietzsche would have been completely fascinated. Um, you know, his doctrine of the overman and uh, becoming Mm -hmm. become what you are. Um, He was actually one of my favorite philosophers when I was young. Um, But anyway, gee, there are so many interesting questions. Um, So one thing that I think is very salient in my mind these days is the difference between um, synthetic intelligence and human and non-human animal intelligence. So you know, I know it's not a completely cut and dried distinction, but you know, artificial versus biological, or computational versus biological, and you know, within the space of computational intelligences, it's not clear to me that they would be sentient. Mm. Um, you know, as I say, in artificial you, I take a sort of wait and see approach. Uh, I'm not a hardliner the way John is, Um, you know, about machine consciousness, but I am skeptical that the AI companies are going to want to build it. Um, Maybe a super intelligence will design it into itself. Um, But I also think that um, we don't appreciate artificial intelligence enough as being wholly other, which is something I'm sort of bringing in from my work with NASA. I mean, I actually think the most intelligent system would be something like a, global brain uh, organized by Google uh, that you know has human inputs as nodes into the system and anyone who's wired in through you know their wearables or their brain chips will be actually a physical part of the system so that gets into all kinds of really interesting issues about the nature of mind I mean here we have minds and the parts of the mind are conscious but the collective intelligence itself, may not be, so you may not even want to call it a mind. And then you get into other issues uh, akin to the discussions you see on the extended mind. And then you have questions about extended consciousness. And I actually think the idea of consciousness extending into the world when you're talking about brain chips that could be outside of the brain we could be wired into another computer. Um, I think all of these things are actually life possibilities. They're not as silly as you might think. And I think the you know, exciting nature of well, I won't call it a singularity, but you know, what's happening right now with technological change is just introducing mind-bending issues right now.
1: Yeah, do you think we're gonna be forced to kind of come up with new fields of epistemology, I guess, where we're going to have to really redefine a lot of these terms that we've allowed to be really, I guess, anthropomorphized or very human centric?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think we know how to think about AI systems as discrete entities. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something I'm grappling with right now. I mean, suppose there's a system instantiated on the internet is the... (laughs) So it's know, temporally scattered, but maybe only part of that system at a given time instantiates a global intelligence system. So which parts, how, how do you determine it? I mean, it's, it's tricky. Um, so that's one issue. I mean, another issue is just the possibilities of distributed consciousness. So it's hard to even get a handle on that when we don't have cases in the real world i mean the one two cases keep coming to my mind though or three i mean well one is underappreciated so i'll mention that one uh that's the one of the shared thalamus um so i don't know if you've heard of the craniopagus twins in canada but they are a lot of people haven't heard of it i think it's really mind-bending uh these these teenagers i think they're teenagers now or maybe they're They're not teenagers yet, maybe they're like 11 or 12, but um, Christina and Tatiana Hogan, they actually have um, parts of their brain connected
1: Hmm. because
0: they are uh, conjoined at the head and just unbelievably, they have what is called a thalamic bridge. It's a novel never before seen neuroanatomical link between the two brains. And of course it reminds me of Neuralink and the sort of science fictiony ideas, but in their case, um, it's just absolutely amazing. So what happens with them is they, the way their heads are connected, they actually can't directly see each other.
1: Hmm.
0: So one can eat and the other one will taste it and know what the other one's eating even though they can't see each other. And they claim they can hear each other's thoughts. And so now usually you think of consciousness as intrinsically private.
1: That's yeah.
0: a, a philosophical um, idea that is, I won't say completely uncontroversial, but relatively uncontroversial. But I don't really know if I believe that anymore. Um, I mean, it's as if they share consciousnesses in certain respects. They They share conscious contents while they're actually you know, I don't know, are they one being or are they two? Or is there no fact of the matter? I don't know what to say about that. Then you get that gets to the issue of systems, what a system is. And, you know, maybe we just demarcate system boundaries based on our theoretical interests. Um, You know, I mean, it could be, but that that's absolutely fascinating. Um, And uh, it kind of makes you think of what the possibilities are as, if a future brings what i think it will bring which is a population of individuals not everybody but a lot of individuals who have brain chips or other types of technologies that allow communication with others in in a very shared mind sense right and how do you determine the identity of that entity
1: i was going to say that's the question right i mean with things like neuralink coming down the line you know, arguably quite quickly. I'm not sure how many years that we are from something that's more ubiquitous, but there's a real chance that in our lifetime we'll see the ability for people to have a sensation at one place and for that sensation to be delivered to an interface to somebody else somewhere else, correct?
0: it It would seem that way to me, yeah. um I mean, especially, you know, if you consider parts of the brain, that might first be shared um you know like if you are able to like i mean already you know the motor strip is it's somewhat accessible mm. um you know so if you're talking about the sensory periphery i suppose the question there would be well at what level of processing would the thought become shared like a truly shared thought as opposed to something that's more akin to um being at the sensory periphery and just coming in, in a in a more direct way, right? I mean, I suppose it all depends on the neuroanatomy. Yeah. But um Facebook already has a uh wristband that detects activity in the motor strip.
1: Well what is what does this mean in, in your mind somebody for somebody who has studied the mind so much. What does this do to these like concepts of the self and, and identity when we start to blur these lines? I mean, do you think we're already starting that with things like social media and these ways in which we externalize our memory and share them to other people? And how does this look going forward? And what's this mean philosophically?
0: Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, I think it's good to maybe divide the issue into two separate ones, I mean, they may be the same thing, but it's a question about whether they are, but one is the sort of perceived social identity of individuals, you know, like if you ask somebody what they are and how they relate to, you know, social media, it's kind of about their perceived relationship to the world and who they are, but then there's a, diff- a different issue in the metaphysics literature, right? Um, you know, there's a whole literature there there called personal identity, where questions are deeper than that in the sense that they're metaphysically deep. Not that they're the other questions are unimportant, but and there, like people ask deep questions like, could I survive the death of my brain and body, for example? Do I have a soul? Like, could I survive the death and like ghosts, You know, uh, be no longer a spatio-temporal being right? I'm trying to wear the hat of a religious individual, or could I upload, Um, which is another way of surviving the death of the brain. And there you're asking about the metaphysics of self, right? And so I think that there are rich questions in both areas, like as we move forward, I mean, you know, in the metaphysics of the self area, for example, you might wonder what happens if you become a cyborg? Or what happens if you attempt to upload? Like, I'm actually a skeptic that you could genuinely survive uploading.
1: Mm, Why? Why is that?
0: Oh, I think you'd be destroying the biological brain and just creating a a digital copy of yourself. Um, That's unfortunately a sad reality. And it's funny because I think the views intrinsically Borrowing on contradictory views, because I bet you anything, if you talk to someone who's a proponent of uploading and you told them, I'm going to take out a hemisphere of your brain, how do you feel about that? They're not going to like it. They may be worried that the person they are would end that day. Right. But then, you know, you could ask them in the literally the same conversation what they think of brain uploading. And somehow they think, That if you destroy a hemisphere and measure it intricately and program the details into a computer, or both hemispheres say, because that's a clear case, that you would survive. And how do you have both? I'm confused. I mean, something's going on there that's messed up. And I think it's that we're borrowing from two different conceptions of the nature of mind, sadly. Because I would love to be able to upload if it was available.
1: So, I mean, are you arguing for something that is metaphysical then? I mean, we don't need to go too far down this this road, but is there something that you're you're saying exists as maybe emergent property of biological matter that wouldn't exist in a synthetic copy?
0: Nope. No, I'm not yeah. saying that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, no, there's nothing that leads me to believe that intelligence can't be instantiated um, in silicon or some other format. And similarly, I think if you get the causal structure of the brain right, I'm open to the possibility that you could simulate consciousness. But I don't think we can assume that consciousness and intelligence go hand in hand. Mm. I actually think if you look at the world even today, you'll find lots of intelligent systems that aren't conscious. So the cerebellum of the brain is by all accounts, not necessary for conscious experience because individuals can be born with what's called cerebellar agenesis and not have a cerebellum. And by the way, the cerebellum's huge. And I think there are more neurons there than in any other part of the brain. Okay, but it does not have anything to do with conscious experience, okay? So there's lots of smart computation going on in the cerebellum. I mean, we can't even simulate it. <laughs> and it's not conscious. Similarly, AlphaGo and all of the further iterations coming out of you know, deep minds and then all of the, you know, wonderful systems coming out of other places like open AI. I don't think they're conscious, mm-hmm. but they outperform us already in multiple ways. And they're moving more and more toward domain general systems. So I'm starting to sense that it's fairly uncontroversial to talk about uh what we might call an orthogonality thesis or something that says that you know we they can come apart consciousness and computation even in highly sophisticated cases
1: yeah so i mean in the case before you mentioned uh the creators of ai you know companies like google or alphabet um even if they were so inclined to create uh, sentient or conscious AI, do you think they could, or do you think that's actually not something that's possible because what they'd really be doing is just creating something that's really intelligent, but not actually conscious?
0: Yeah. Um, my bet, if I was going to bet would be that it's, it'll take a computer itself, a super intelligent computer to design consciousness. And I don't think the first super intelligences would be conscious. So. And I don't think Google has any interest in phenomenal consciousness. In fact, I think it probably freaks them out for ethical reasons, because like, can you imagine, you know, you build this extremely smart AI system, you need it running, uh, or you, you need it actively computing, uh, your search engine results, (laughs) but it's sentient. Oh God, that sounds like didn't Robert Sawyer have a book called Wake where the World Wide Web woke up and became conscious? I mean, it sounds like a nightmare. And of course, there's so many robot rights people. So they're not going to let it go to work.
1: It sounds like the right? Christmas episode of Black Mirror if you, if you saw that one.
0: Oh, oh, God, no, I didn't. I watched almost every single one and there's another one and it's right on. God, I'm writing a book on this stuff right now. I'm so excited, really.
1: Yeah, it was like it was a few years ago, but it's a, a John Ham, I think is his name, the actor. He he, you know, I won't say too much, but he is able to put an artificial intelligence into basically torture by making it be in a an empty white room for thousands of years, and at the end of a thousand years, cool. he can yeah. get it to do what he wants because it doesn't want to be in nothingness for another thousand years, and it feels like that could be potentially what you're talking about could happen with, you know, a search engine that has consciousness. It's like, well, it's trapped in nothingness. It's not embodied. It has no ability to do anything but feel, but Mm -hmm. it has no real, you know, it's almost like torture for, for a conscious synthetic consciousness.
0: Yeah. 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 Digital suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I know some people writing papers on that academic papers. I mean, you know, actually for what it's worth, my two cents, I think it'd be so easy to tweak a conscious system so that it doesn't suffer. Mm. Um, and but then the next thing that would come up would be the public would be like, I don't care if it doesn't suffer. Because that's kind of like low, um, not Logan's run, it's like um Brave New World, mm. where you know, the low class of individuals take so much to stay happy and they're genetically altered to be less intelligent. So, I mean, there are ethics there. That's why everybody reads Brave New World uh, in college, right? Or high school, It's like an ethical nightmare. Um, So I think there's questions about how to shape our AI mind children, if you will, like the ethical limitations on what we should and shouldn't do. And, you know, I'm not even sure we should try to create conscious beings unless there's some medical reason like um, learn more about the brain, or if we, maybe if we think it will make smarter AIs or more benevolent AIs. I mean, I actually say in my book that I think it could be that it helps with the control problem. Mm. Like, you know, AI alignment issues. So, you know, that we're never gonna forget um, Nick Bostrom's example of the paperclip factory. <laughs> it's just like, Absolutely. I wish he never said it. <laughs> right um but anyway if suppose you're trying to design a system and you want to make sure it doesn't become a paperclip factory (laughs) well if you make it conscious it might you know have pause in Mm. its activities it might it might say well wait a second those are conscious beings and i don't know that it would be right for me to make them suffer or create an inhospitable environment on the planet for them and you know if you think about what stops those of us who are decent to non-human animals from doing terrible things to animals it's that we're conscious and we extrapolate from the felt quality of our experience that dogs and cats and other non-human animals also have a felt quality of experience So I'm we might points with my dog who's right under the table.
1: <laughs> yeah, getting brownie points. We might, we so we might want the AI to be able to empathize with us otherwise the AI an unconscious AI might see us just as obstacles to be made into paper clips instead of it might not something it. to relate to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that might be the only reason. The other reason though that some people are going after machine consciousness, I, I'll say a lot actually. It's kind of it, at least a few years ago it was like a holy grail with you know certain AI projects. It's like, well, what makes us AGI's? What makes us AGI's, I'm tracing a line of thinking, are certain parts of the brain that are correlated with conscious activity, like working memory and attention. So if we just simulate it really the to the best of our ability in AI, then maybe we'll get AGI. Um, but I just, well, first of all, good luck. <laughs> Um, so I don't think you'll get phenomenal consciousness. And, you know, second of all, I think at best what you're getting is what philosophers call functional consciousness or access consciousness, which is like, you know, the crude cognitive capacities that are roughly correlated with conscious activity in humans.
1: It's almost so like a philosophical zombie kind of thing.
0: You, you, yeah, I mean, but a zombie by definition is something that is a molecule for molecule duplicate of a human right whereas this is like i mean if you look at today's ai systems they're nothing like that mm-hmm. you know but they they claim that they have like some of these systems i mean if you want me to name names i will of people but i mean i'll go back god like i'll go back 10 years to stan franklin's work uh you know he was probably one of the first individuals to develop systems that had roughly a conscious cognitive architecture. I think he was mimicking um, Bernard Barr's global workspace theory. And now, even today, like these cutting edge AI theorists like Yoshua Bengio, uh, you know, has a whole lab working on um, utilizing the global workspace theory to build conscious machines. But Bengio's lab, from talking to him i've had some great conversations beck's going to give a talk at my center in a few weeks i just gave a talk to his group you know he doesn't really care if the machine well i won't say care because it gets into ethics but he's not looking for the felt quality in his ais he's looking for functional correlates of consciousness to get the machines to be smarter to overcome characteristic problems with deep learning, the kind of embarrassments that people like Gary Marcus and my supervisor, Jerry Fodor have brought up for years. Yeah, I don't think you need to do all that, actually. I just, I think you can brute force the issue and that if you just throw in more layers and whatnot, you're going to overcome a lot of those kinds of problems. As we're seeing actually with, um, you know, these generative networks, they're getting more and more impressive, the more, um, you know, you build into them.
1: So this makes me think that you're leaning towards a world where we'll probably integrate the AI with our consciousness more through things like brain computer interfaces, where we have control over the, the AI more than it's being something that is conscious outside of us. Does that seem correct? or is that kind of what you're thinking
0: i actually i guess in my future world i see us trying to merge with ai mm-hmm. and i see there being hybrid systems
1: very much and, like a cyborg yeah kind of thing. yeah yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And i'm not sure those individuals will still be themselves in any rich metaphysical sense if they take it far enough they will have even in some cases, remove parts of their biological brain um, or outlived parts of their biological brain. And I'm not sure they will be the same individuals. Maybe they won't care. My only hope is that they know the issues, right? That's my only concern. It's like consumer beware. Um, But that's the kind of future I see. But I also sadly see a dystopia um, because, you know, I mean, I'm sure your listeners have read Cyberpunk, novels and you know we all know about situations where in the cyberpunk literature individuals lose control of brain apps or can't pay for their subscription or the government forces a certain chip on them. Um, I mean think about how the future looks in China if you assume this. Um, when you know surveillance is the name of the game over there. And even in you know I mean in the United States, I mean, look at the way we first thought the web would be, a locus of freedom, a social utopia, and look at it, um, you know, it's like, oh my God, right? I mean, you've got tech monopolies and surveillance capitalism. So how do you think things are gonna play out? I mean, it doesn't, unless we get involved, it's not gonna be a pretty place. That's, That's what I think.
1: I wonder, have, have you put much thought into the outsourcing of decision-making to these potential onboard AIs? You know, I think Yuval Harari talks about it in, in simple ways. He talks about like the GPS. We just plug in the address and the AI tells us which roads to take and we listen to it. And that's kind of like a mundane example, but there could be a future where the AI tells us you should date this person or you should choose this path in life or you should you know, do X, Y, Z, because it's monitoring your nor- neural networks and it's planning out your life for you. Like, have you thought much about this idea that we might eventually just give over our decision-making capacities to, to the AI?
0: We already are. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that, I mean, if I'm sure you saw the social network mm-hmm. where, um, you know, people who created the like button, right talk about what it does to neurochemical signaling in the brain. I mean, the whole purpose of these structures is to get us to buy something. It's to alter our patterns of behavior. And as you know, it's politically destabilizing it to their benefit to have apparently fringe nuts utilizing these technologies. So we're already kind of moving in that direction. But the question I think is how much worse it's going to get, or will there be like a phase transition where, you know, it becomes something even, you know, more radical. Um, And, you know, I suspect it, it will. Um, So think about this. Think about if you have a chip in your head. I've been meaning to write a paper on this called My Chip Made Me Do It. (laughs) Because, you know, you can always blame your chip. (laughs) But I mean, on a serious note, you know, your chip could be doing all kinds of things in addition to watching you selling your data. Um, how do you know anything that you do really originates from you? Um, I mean, there's this debate in philosophy uh, about the nature of free will, right? Do we have it? Um, what is it? And I think, you know, there are a lot of philosophical issues here that still need to be worked on. I hope to do it at my center. Maybe there'll be a, a guilty tech billionaire listening to this podcast <laughs> to donate money to my center. Um yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a, a huge, huge issue. And if we become part of, you know, I've been talking about the global brain in the new book, but in a very dystopian kind of mm. global Google brain way, I mean, everything we think and do will be part of this wired in system. Yeah. So our identities will be very, very different both as you know, in that social sense that I isolated earlier and in that metaphysical sense. And you know, I just wanna make sure that it's a life worth living, Yeah. right? So do do you
1: have a tangible fear then that we're moving towards something like the Borg where we kind of are automated into the roles the AI plans for us and we don't really have a lot of that individualism and maybe personal expression that we identify with being people?
0: It could be that the future is that way as we wire up, unless we watch ourselves carefully, as you know, from an AI regulation standpoint and break up tech monopolies. Um, you know, but I don't know if ultimately it will turn out that way in the more long run because I don't know if AI would have any interest in us. And I say that with all seriousness. I mean, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with debates about technological unemployment, right? I mean, what benefit do we bring? Uh, you know, we could, in a longer run sense, completely just not be part of the the economy. The economy could be controlled by artificial intelligences. Um, I mean, you know, it's funny because some of the most interesting thinkers lately, um, you know, people like Richard Dawkins, um, Stephen, the late Stephen Hawking's, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, that's just the evolutionary path of life. Um, we may be supplanted, but they would be so much smarter than us. And isn't that just, you know, in a big history sense, just the way it goes, like, don't be anthropomorphic. Uh, but, you know, I've been stressing in, in my work that it's not even clear that these beings would have a felt quality of experience that they'd be conscious in any way, shape or form. And also it's not clear that the way of existing for humans, uh, would, would be a good thing. So
1: you emphasize in your book something to this very effect which is that you say ai will take intelligence to new directions but it's up to us to carve a sensible path forward as you're kind of delivering that warning what is i guess the sensible path forward what are some of the maybe pitfalls that you worry that we're potentially going to run into or you know what is the just trajectory that you think we should focus on
0: Well, I think that philosophers who you know are experts on ethics and the mind really need to get involved, and I get a little exasperated at how Ivy Tower people tend to be, but I guess that's why we became philosophers, you know. But I think we need to spend some time trying to change public opinion. Um, That's why I founded a center because I believe that these are interesting issues and people do want to understand what the future could be like. And so if there's some understanding with Congress, then that would help toward the regulation area as well as in the Oval Office. I mean, I'm talking just nationally, but obviously this is also a global understanding issue. So I try to work with Congress. Um, you know, I give talks in the Capitol building. Um, you know, I've, they all have copies of my book. They, they've signed, I've signed, books for them they find it very interesting Um, you know so there's that element I think we really can uh affect global understanding of the issues if we try um and I think we really have to so you know doing a podcast like this is very helpful I mean podcasts are being extremely they're extremely influential now I have to get used to that and start listening to more.
1: Yeah. Are there regulatory recommendations that you make? Or at this point, is it more about just like, I want you to have the awareness as the policymakers?
0: Well, (laughs) you know, I mean, breaking up tech monopolies, I think would be good. (laughs) Uh, And I think the national intelligence community, I I interact with them. uh, They're really interesting. Wish I could read all the stuff they get to read um you know but just interacting with them and making sure that there is a productive understanding of the terrain and they're 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 good they're good so that's good um but there's only so much you know one person can do but each of us just needs to try right i mean like i i always try to work with the transhumanists to discourage these futuristic views of the mind that's one thing i do um you know i i encourage people to think harder about this idea of being able to upload the brain and being able to merge with AI, um, because I actually think it relies on an incorrect model of the the brain, I'm sorry to say, or the mind. So the problem is that um, a lot of us think that the mind is a program, okay? And I think it, that understanding comes straight from cognitive science. And I'm a cognitive scientist. I'm a proponent of the view that the brain is a computational engine, that it can be understood very productively through a computational paradigm. But going from talk of the brain to the mind is the problem. The mind itself, if it was a program, it would be something that's not spatial. Like what's a computer program? Computer program is actually like a mathematical equation in a way, lines of code, right? I mean, these are abstract, not concrete things. So I don't think your mind is something that is not located in space and time, or is a causal, -causal. Mm non-causal. I think we have to come to grips with the fact that we are, if anything, program instantiations. So the upshot is don't destroy the instantiation when you're uploading. It's (laughs) not going to be you. Instead, all you're doing is copying your program and making a different instantiation. Sadly, survival is instantiation relative, okay? Mm. And, you know, I really would love to upload, so I'm really pissed. But if you want to live you know, a really, really long time. Let's hope for nanotech to move real fast, you know, medicine. And uh, I'm I'm all for the development of cry- cryogenics uh, unless you start uploading in that context too. Just don't upload, freeze it, but don't upload it.
1: Well, as we look forward, I mean, what are, I guess, are the philosophical questions that you would ultimately like to see people consider more of? What, what are some of the things that you think are lacking in, in the boardrooms, maybe at Google, or in the common conversations people are having at the pub?
0: The ethics of the future.
1: <laughs> just period, just all
0: of the ethics. <laughs> the Nature of the mind, as we move forward, like what we can and can't do to survive. Um, what we want for the future of the mind, um, and. In the domain of particular topics, I'd like a more serious conversation about machine consciousness and what it would take for us to even understand whether a system is a conscious system. Uh, You know, questions about whether these neural prosthetics could give rise to extended consciousness, which would be really interesting because we would find cases of consciousness not potentially instantiated by the brain and that could teach us about machine consciousness. Um, and you know, deeper understanding of human consciousness. I mean, unfortunately neuroscience has not and provided an uncontroversial answer to why we're conscious. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, as we come up on time here, I know you've had a busy day, so I want to respect yours. Uh, what, any closing thoughts, any closing remarks, any, anything you'd like to tell people about, or just leave people thinking about as we end this conversation.
0: Well, uh, hit the website of my new center, the Center for the Future Mind. Um, You know, it'd be great to get you involved. You can get on the mailing list. Um, I'm looking forward to developing some public programs and the center is a year old. Um, And we're on the beach, which is why I I started it, really. That's my real reason, because it's in Boca Raton on the ocean.
1: (laughs) Yeah, lovely. Well, we'll point everybody towards that in the uh, the show notes. Susan, thank you so much for your time and, and your thoughts.
0: Thanks for your time. Take care. Bye.